Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Zero Week Agora Conversations, uh, sponsored by AHS Market. Today, our topic will be uh, recycling technologies to assist in the circular business model development for recycled plastics. I'm joined today with a distinguished panel, uh, three of industry leaders that are making real headways into plastics recycling to talk about some of the important topics associated with the move towards circularity. Achieving circularity in the plastics value chain is going to require major changes in several areas. On the demand side, we'll need to modify our use of plastics materials, such as redesign, reuse, repair, and replace. And we'll also need to improve collection and logistics associated with waste plastics collection. Also, technical solutions are going to enable reinsertion of waste plastics into the upstream portions of the value chain. And our brief discussion today will focus on the latter points, technology pathways for plastics recycling. Well, in the broadest sense, this topic comprises everything from technology solutions for collection, logistics, cleaning, sorting, mechanical recycling, and chemical processing of plastics waste, Today, our discussion will focus on the chemical recycling technology area. I'd like to introduce our panel members today. As I said, we have a distinguished group of uh, three uh, industry uh, leaders in uh, plastics recycle. First, we have Paige Morris, associated with Aspen Technology. We have uh, Rick Cochran, associated with Cyclics International, and also Brian Bauer, the CEO of Resynergy. So I'd like uh, to allow each of the panelists to first introduce themselves real quick, uh, and then we'll get into our discussion uh, on chemical recycling for plastics recovery. Thank you. Paige? Sure, thanks. I um, appreciate the opportunity, Tony, to be here and to be with the other panelists. Um, so just background on me quickly is, so I'm industry marketing director for chemicals here at Aspen Technology. And what that means is I work with companies to devise their digitalization strategies to increase the performance of their global businesses. And these days, this effort is particularly focused towards meeting sustainability goals. Aspen Tech provides process optimization technology to many chemical and energy companies worldwide to help reduce their process emissions and waste and is particularly active in optimizing plastic production and recycling technologies. So Aspen Tech, for example, is a member of the Alliance to End Plastic Waste. And as the delegate, I'm very active in that um, organization and I work on the Advanced Recycling Committee and other regional committees as well. So my background is I come from the industry. I actually previously worked for Shell, Dow, Clariant in R&D and commercial and strategy roles. I have a PhD in chemistry from the University of Illinois and I've done executive education at Wharton. So that's my background to get us started. Great, thanks very much, Paige. Um, Rick, can you introduce yourself, please? Sure, thanks, Tony, and uh, great to be on this panel discussion this afternoon. So thank you for the invitation. Uh, I'm with Cyclics International. Um, we are a feedstock supplier uh, of plastic materials for uh, advanced recycling and mechanical recycling partners and member companies. Uh, we do it kind of a unique way. We, we actually create the chemical specifications and deliver feedstock to customers 
with a, a special twist in uh, chemical expertise, logistics management, and then a consortium business basis. So we were different uh, than a, uh, just a simple mechanical broker. We were actually making a chemical feedstock for our customers. Uh, Cyclix is a joint venture between Agilix and ExxonMobil. Uh, I joined the company five months ago as the Senior Vice President of uh, Strategy and Business Development. Uh, I spent most of the last 20 years of my career in waste to value and uh, saw this as a very unique business opportunity. Um, we were actually, uh, I was with Waste Management and the Ventures Group when we put some of the original money into uh, the entire chemical and advanced recycling industry, uh, you know, 16 plus years ago. So it's a, it's a really interesting space with a lot of changes the last few years. So looking forward to our uh, discussion today. Great. Great. And Brian. Um... Hi, yes. I'm CEO and co-founder of Resynergy. Resynergy uses a pyrolysis process um, using microwave, which is very new to the industry generally. It's about 10 times faster than traditional heating sources. And we take waste plastics, primarily the polyethylene polypropylenes, and we convert that into naphtha liquid that is used to make virgin plastics. So our big change to the industry that we're bringing is that we're modular, so we, we can turn up very fast and it's a much lower capex than people are traditionally used to approaching this with. So my background real quick is Stanford Mechanical Engineering. I worked with David Kelly in the IDOE early days. Um, very strong uh, Stanford Berkeley team here, but the biggest contribution comes from the University of Minnesota. So they've worked on pyrolysis for several years. We're a new company, but they've been at it for 13, 14 years. And then very recently, uh, a lot of momentum with uh, teaming with Alliance to end plastic waste, uh, a couple of major uh, investments and projects from, from those companies that's really accelerated this project. Excellent. Well, great. Thanks everyone for those introductions. Um, so as part of our uh, circular plastic service that IHS uh, is working on, um, we have been uh, inviting uh, companies such as the distinguished panel we have today to share their views on the solutions that are uh, up open to us for uh, uh, closing the uh, loop on circular plastics. Um, so my first point question would be uh, if we could just kind of survey what we see as the landscape for advanced or chemical recycling technologies. Uh, currently, there's been a lot of publicity and attention around uh, paralysis as a, as a leading technology that's uh, uh, positioned to, uh, to drive some uh, progress forward on this. But I'd just like to start out with a broad landscape question as to how we see uh, the progression of chemical recycling on a broad term uh, for achieving circular plastics. Uh, Paige, would you like to go first? Sure, yeah, I'll get us started. Um, I think first to put it in context, you know, all sustainability topics have drawn a lot more focus during the COVID pandemic. I think for a lot of us, there's a, just a greater awareness of risk and awareness and growing concern about the environment. And it's really changed our view. And plastic waste is part of that shift in focus. I think also what we have going on is this increasing use of single-use plastics. 
And when you've got maybe waste management problems in different parts of the world, this issue becomes much more evident. So, because plastic containers float in waterways and plastic films move with the wind, and this has become an important issue that a lot of us are working to solve. So to put it in context now for conversation today, so advanced recycling really offers an opportunity to manage large volumes of plastic waste and to convert it into usable materials. So the difference is say from mechanical recycling is that you're taking the polymer apart. You're either going back to the monomer or you're going back to another intermediate that you can use as a feedstock to make more plastics or other chemicals of, of value. So I think it's so important to highlight though, and we'll, I know we'll get into this more in our conversation, is that there's a lot of different advanced recycling options and they vary some because we've got a lot of different polymers. So we've got to think about what the polymer is itself. Each of us may know there's at least six major types of polymers based on the numbers on the bottom. There's loads of mixtures of polymers. So that's a key issue. But we also need to think about what's the source and the local infrastructure. All of these things impact how we do advanced recycling. So mm -hmm. I think to give some context for this conversation, these are all important challenges we have to consider when we look at plastics waste. Sure. Point. Brian, do you have a perspective to share with everyone? I think that's a good point that there's a lot of different types of plastics and how they're made. Um, we are in the bucket of additional um, polymerization plastics, which are those that are repeated over and over again from their, their monomer um, building blocks. So Paige can talk a lot more about that, but, but to simplify it, it's the, the polyolefins, the, the polyethylenes, number twos, fours, and fives that we address. And there is a different way to address the PETs and um, nylons and the other plastics that, are, that have constituents other than um, just those building block monomers. But uh, it's really important to realize there are so many different players uh, that need to collaborate in this industry. So uh, the very important part is the front end of this. I can hand off to Rick here, and that is the, the sorting and so forth on the different places that it comes from. It's so important that you prepare that feedstock properly because it's kind of the saying goes, uh, what goes in comes out. If it's not such great stuff going in, it's not great stuff coming out. And you have to pull out some some mean things if you let them in. So I'll, I'll hand off to Rick there. Good. Yeah, uh, I just uh, Brian's exactly right. That's one of the big things that's been realized is uh, not every mechanical feedstock stream is identical. They're far from it. So, uh, you know, the growth in the number of people in this technology has just been stunning over the last 15 years. Um, you know, probably 15 years ago, maybe there were 10 companies that had serious efforts in now, in there, and now, you know, easily over 70, uh, and maybe more with uh, all the different advanced recycling options. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been really interesting to watch how that grew. And, uh, you know, to the point that uh, Brian made, it just is, you know, the technologies need these materials. And uh, now we're finally getting the pressure from the brands that have made it back into the manufacturing of, of the actual, you know, building blocks uh, to get recycled content entered back in. So it's a, it's a fascinating, exciting time for sure. Yeah. Good points, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. The, the work that IHS Market has done in this space uh, points to the fact that we expect the 
this issue to get a lot worse before it gets better in terms of overall plastics uh, waste uh, entering the, uh, the post-consumer stream. And um, the, some of the work that we've done indicates that by 2050, we could expect um, possibly additional 400,000 metric tons per year of waste plastics uh, entering post-consumer. Uh, that kind of points to what Paige earlier alluded to, which is the need for large-scale deployment of uh, technologies to assist in achieving a circular plastics economy. Um, I'd like to just ask the panel what, what their views are on both technical and non-technical uh, barriers that need to be overcome in order for large-scale deployment of, uh, of these important technologies to, uh, to gain the footholds that we need to, to solve uh, plastic circularity. I can go first. Um, probably eight to 12 years ago, there was a lot of investment in taking lab of pyrolysis, for example, and scaling that to a very large scale. And I think the excitement was there, the intention was there, but it was too big, too fast. It, it wasn't understood how difficult it was to scale. So some of the technical challenges like fouling or coking, um, clogging up systems in simple terms, um, that wasn't real under, well understood. As it turns out, we believe when you go to a modular system, you break it down into its elements and you can very simply uh, build in uh, redundancies and so forth and repeat a very well proven module of reactor and redundancies. Um, that can be scaled very quickly. So a good model of that, a good example of that is the way Tesla does their power wall where they build the Panasonic battery into a very large scale. So we're taking more of that approach. It's actually much lower cost because we use um, fast pyrolysis. We're 10 times faster, meaning we can be one-tenth the size, one-tenth the material theoretically, and actually the efficiency is much better. So that's one approach, that's the approach that we take, and that can be scaled infinitely, although our sweet spot is between five and 50 tons per day. Um, you know, Brian really addressed the technical challenges that are still out there. There are still, to you know, Tony, the way you phrased the question about non-technical challenges, uh, there's still a lot of sorting uh, materials, not to mention the actual volumes needed for the future uh, are an important part of it. So there's, there's still quite a bit of heavy lifting uh, in terms of getting the material ready for the technologies uh, that uh, are going to have to be overcome going forward. But, uh, you know, these challenges, uh, you know, you see the technologies improving. Uh, the thing that uh, we also all want to see change is also how consumers handle their plastics. Uh, so uh, a lot of work still to be done in that because the contamination many times is, you know, starting right at the right at the garbage bin in the home. So uh, a lot of material being lost, uh, you know, 90 plus percent is still making it into the landfill or uh, waste energy streams. So still a lot of material flowing that way. Yeah, and, and I'll comment on a few fronts. First, when it comes to that bin at the house, I go to schools a lot and talk to them about recycling. Do you notice the numbers on the bottom? What are the differences? Because you got to start at all ages, right? And to get them to think about that. So that's me as a community member. But as a business person, thinking about how we help with this plastics waste issue. So Aspentech's really involved in helping to optimize those processes. So Brian, you talked about the development of pyrolysis. It's been around a while. People are still trying to optimize the process really, and particularly with scale up. 
And that's often when they'll use the Aspen Tech simulation capability to look at those processes. And the challenge we always have is waste is different each time. What people throw out this week is different than next week. There's seasonal variants, there's regional variants, and that creates some challenges. But some of the other things we're doing too, and I just want to comment this, is how digital is helping in other ways. One thing is we all want to value plastics more, right? To think about what is the value of this material. Well, one of the solutions that Aspentech has actually is starts at the producer and helps them make less of what's called transition grade. You know, that's that stuff in between the two things you'd rather have. And that stuff isn't great, you know, and it gets sold at a low value and ends up in cheap applications. Well, if you sequence your unit right and think about what order I should make things, you can reduce the amount of waste you make in between. And that's a big thing that we focus on with a lot of people. And the other thing I'll comment on too is um, bringing if that product back in, like we're talking about the recycling piece of it, that's a supply chain challenge. And Rick, I'm, you're probably deep into this in your business is how do you get that back in? And we've been working with a variety of um, packaging companies and plastics producers to figure out how to collect that stuff and get it back into their processes to make sure they do have a percent recycled into their material. And that's a big challenge, but you can use supply chain tools to do that, you, you know, digital tools to make sure you can get the product back in. So I think there's a lot of ways in addition to advanced recycling, that's gonna take the big volumes. But in truth, I think we should look at the whole value chain and see what we can do there. say one other thing on on the non-technical and that is in the early days when when trying to build big plants people were trying to bring plastics from all over the place and try to get to two three hundred tons per day and a lot of studies found that the sweet spot is more less than 50 tons per day because the transport the logistics the the supply agreements uh getting supply agreements multi-year supply agreements from plastic wasters is, is very difficult. So it turns out that it's, it's lower numbers tend to be better. And that will depend. There may be some solutions where you can figure that out, but there's a lot of medium-sized cities, a lot of smaller towns, a lot of small and medium-sized businesses uh, where it will make sense to, to take the granulation processing to the plastic at sort of at the source, convert that to a liquid, and as one of our refinery partners says, it's a whole lot easier to transport liquid than this high volume plastic waste. Yeah. Great points on that. Very good points on all that. And uh, that, that brings me to an interesting uh, discussion topic and that is the issue of scale. Um, chemical, those of us in, in the chemical industry and refining industry uh, you know, think, uh, think of scale all the time. Um, and we go back and look at uh, development of other chemical and refining processes, uh, you know, back in history. And when we do that, we, we come away with the understanding of the role that you know, experience plays in defining uh, the future economic profiles for, for these technologies. And uh, when we did that, uh, we came away with the conclusion that as uh, we double the cumulative production using these technologies, we can demonstrate uh, significant cost reductions on, on a fixed uh, operating basis. Um, and, and many of those uh, processes uh, that we described uh, from a refining and chemical uh, industry perspective historically have some strong parallels to uh, chemical recycling 
that are being considered for, for plastics. So Brian, your, your perspective is, is quite interesting in that uh, the, lower, the focus on modular scale uh, really avoids some of the non-technical issues that are associated with putting together a chemical recycling project, those of identifying a feed uh, and identifying a local outlet for it. But we do envision that there will be large installations and the need for, for large recycling centers. Um, do we think that, uh, does the panel think that these type of um, experience curve theory will, will hold for uh, the type of chemical processes that are being envisioned for plastics recycle? I think definitely experience in, in so many ways that are, are not necessarily bigger pipes, but, but how to deploy. Um, where to, to put your catalyst, if you use catalyst, and where to, to put your refinery, uh, centralize, decentralize your condensation and so forth within your post-refinery processes at the end of your system. Uh, that kind of experience goes a long way. So I think um, what we do, I got a wine, wine background in my picture right here. We're sitting in the wine country. We do a whole heck of a lot of hourly testing just to make sure that all of our refinements are repeatable and um, are very efficient. Uh, Technology-wise, not everybody has access to it, but um, because we're five, 10 times faster in our processing with fast pyrolysis, um, we're smaller, we use less material and microwave can go through any depth of insulation. So you can imagine the efficiencies that gets you. And then on top of that, because most of the time we use catalyst, catalyst allows you to lower your temperature. So it's all a big Delta T game when it comes to heat loss. So the combination of that big insulation, the right amount of insulation and the Delta T lowering that, it, it can be a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. um, on top of that, yes, we can go to where the plastic is, but one of the key things is um, we're teaming with Alliance and Plastic Waste Partners to build a much higher capacity skid. Uh, so right now we have a five ton skid that's 40 feet long and we look to go 20 tons per day on that same size skid. So that's that's pretty phenomenal. That's the type of thing that you can you can deploy in a, a bigger factory. And we look to license that to, to some of those bigger players. So it's really two ways to approach it. And and Rick, in terms of uh, uh, being able to achieve a, a large scale in the situation where that makes the most sense, uh, what about the feed requirements? Uh, what what methods um, are there to facilitate uh, a large scale deployment of, of a chemical recycling facility? Yeah, a great follow on to that, Tony. It definitely is part of the equation, undoubtedly, uh, because these um, you know, assets are gonna have to be fed and the, you know, it's not magic. You know, the feed is where the people are and there'll be some of that that'll be kind of automatically we know, but how you could redeploy um, material into its highest and best use is all part of the math and the equations that everyone is doing. So uh, it's kind of why cyclics, uh, has started and will always remain kind of technology agnostic in the feedstock side of this because we know that there's the next scale or the next innovation like, uh, you know, with Brian, with microwave, you know, there's gonna be these breakthroughs that are gonna need support of material no matter what. So uh, the, the feedstock undoubtedly has to come out of the current trash side of it. 
but how does economics work? Uh, you know, I think they're going to scale just like the industry does. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it'll, it'll definitely uh, be ready because the materials there, it'll just take some new models of how to get mm -hmm. the, the volumes correct. And 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 Paige, in terms of you know digital solutions, I I could envision where where that would play a role, uh, in sure. in in large scale as well as in more modular uh, uh, opportunities. Yeah, exactly right. And I mean the opportunity for optimization because you know it's not till you're really running that you realize what your challenges are, and then how can you optimize? And that's for energy. I mean Brian, you brought up how critical energy is, of course, and to reduce waste, and then to get some sense of reliability because coke buildup is real and potential for blockage and those kind of issues, depending on your situation. And then we all have that challenge of plastic number three, PVC, if you introduce HCL to your system, you've got some big issues there too. So it's a great opportunity though for simulation. And we're working with lots of people, all different regions right now on improving all of their processes, particularly pyrolysis, but there's a variety in the works as well. Mm -hmm. yep. And I also uh, I would assume that you know optimizing processes uh, involving these type of chemical transformations uh, have a direct impact in in terms of the quality of the of the uh, recycled process output, whether it be a, a pyrolysis oil or a recovered monomer. Uh, what about what about the role that uh, that that those uh, digital uh, options provide for? Uh, quality improvements and qu and consistency that uh, we need in order to generate large scale adoption of, of chemical recycling. That I mean, that's a challenge. We've got a great extension because at one of the classic digital tool that so many people use, known as PIMS, is about feedstock into your either your steam cracker or into your refinery, and you take the basic qualities of that, apply it to a model that tells you how well your steam cracker will run it and it helps you set the conditions. And so as we learn more about the quality of this pyrolysis oil, we can then better program and be prepared for how our units need to run with that. And that, that will be a very important development as we scale up and get pyrolysis oil, you know, high availability so we know how to run our cracker units. Because I mean, most people in manufacturing, in my experience, prefer things to run always the same every single day. Don't change my feedstock. Don't even have a thunderstorm. Don't do anything. But world isn't like that. So we have to learn to adjust. And that's one way that simulation technologies help immensely with that and planning and scheduling to, to rethink how you run your assets. So certainly digital is a very big part of the solution here. Mm -hmm. and, and Brian, you mentioned before about your partnering with, uh, with refineries to, to, for the offtake from, from the modular facilities. Uh, what about consistency uh, in, in managing uh, to provide a, uh, a consistent output stream to, to, the, uh, to the refiners? So just put them in basically two categories. One, there's groups that have set really stringent specs. So like, you know, the weakest link in the chain, you can work with everybody's steam cracker. So there's kind of groups like that. And that's kind of one spec, but then there's individual locations, for example, they can have a, a different spec and they might be able to hire, have a higher yield, uh, use both N-paraffins and isoparaffins, both. And that type of uh, approach might be able to kick off faster and have higher yields, but it is, it's a, it's a big deal trying to figure out uh, what spec to hit and where to set that and then consistently hit it over and over again with, 
like Paige is saying, with different feedstock coming in all the time. I'm glad Rick's going to help with that. <laughs> yeah, Rick, that, that's exactly right. So I, I assume that having a consistent raw material input is probably key to achieving both large scale and uh, modular type uh, operations. Um, your view on that? Without a, without, yeah, without a doubt, Tony, it really does. And, th and that's where most of our uh, discussions, uh, you know, for when we're talking with people about feedstocks is centered around. Uh, and it's why our unique take being chemistry as opposed to mechanical recycling, you know, we are trying to meet with that specific technology partner, what our member companies are using as their technology. I think it's frankly one of the more fascinating things that we see is uh, people talking about their oil going into, you know, basically the same steam cracking, yet the feedstocks to the pyrolysis input is quite different based on the technology. And, and that's, again, kind of why cyclics came about was because we viewed it as a chemical, uh, a, a chemical solution that was needed to help the industry, not just the mechanical recovery of things into the triangles. It was more, uh, you know, we all understand in this space that the difference between bottles that may get the same number on them and how they behave in a pyrolysis unit are vastly different. And thus, uh, you know, as people get their technology honed and expert, you know, expertise brought to it, uh, they understand more and more of how the feedstock uh, can impact and help them on that. So yeah. uh, we see it as a constant discussion uh, on, on how to feed these units uh, material appropriately and rateably and you know, scalably, scalably for the growth that's coming. Great. Well, yeah, thank, well, thank everyone for, um, for their uh, input on, on this important issue. I know that we've been uh, noticing uh, the, prompt, the uh, importance that chemical recycling uh, has um, in, in solving uh, this plastics circular issue. Um, and the comments made today around optimization uh, by digital solutions, addressing both the scale from a, a, a modular as well as a large scale perspective, and the focus on a quality uh, feedstock into these facilities is, are all important in terms of uh, being able to achieve chemical recycling uh, as an efficient way to, to close the loop. So I appreciate uh, everyone's comments and uh, we're gonna continue to, uh, to watch um, the news and the industry developments in this area. I'll just allow each of the panelists uh, perhaps a closing comment uh, uh, and then we'll move on. Thank you. Paige? Maybe I'll start. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Um, just I'll tell you one thing I'm encouraged by is that there's a lot of interest in trying to solve this difficult problem. So as part of uh, membership in the Alliance to End Plastic Waste, I'm on the Advanced Recycling Committee. We had a huge number of proposals come in from all over the world with cool ideas about how to solve this problem. And that's wonderful is what you wanna see is creative ideas, collaboration across the value chain, which is what the Alliance does as well. And I'm encouraged by that because I think it's, it's gonna be a technical solution that we need to find. And we don't have a lot of years left to really figure that out as we get ahead with these big global challenges and goals that we've set for ourselves. So, but I'm encouraged by the innovation and the ideas that are coming in. Right. Uh, yeah, great comments, Paige. Uh, I'm going to share that excitement. That was exactly the word I was going to use. I'm going to just uh, you know, pile on to your description there. It has been amazing to somebody who's been in this space for a long time 
to say I was cynical 15, 20 years ago when I started in this space, it wasn't quite cynical, but it was close. And uh, to watch what has really blossomed in the last five years and maybe the last three in particular uh, has been just, uh, just so gratifying. Uh, you know, you really see brands embracing this and forcing change into the system. And those brands are only changing because their customers are demanding it. So, uh, you know, for those of us that have been around in a while, it, it's been a, a long road, but uh, there, you know, I, I feel like it, there's been an undeniable change and transformation that, uh, you know, it's worth getting excited about. Great. I'd just like to reiterate the same. Um, like Paige was talking about collaboration is so important and timing is important. Um, and I think what Rick's saying about uh, people really getting behind this mission, uh, two missions, one is cleaning up plastic and then also the greenhouse gases issues and the, the climate, uh, they kind of run in parallel in a lot of ways. And a lot of companies, a lot of countries have this initiative of 50% recycling by 2030. Um, a lot of them right in that target. And to do that, just like with the climate, we need to start acting pretty fast. And so we need to look at solutions that can be deployed in multiple ways um, very quickly. So I'll end on that note. And great. I look forward to working with all of you. Well, thank you. Thank you all. We had a great, great panel. I think uh, what clearly came out here are the synergies between among the technologies that uh, are being developed uh, to contribute uh, toward a uh, optimized uh, scale, uh, relative scale efficient, uh, and managing the, the non-technical issues around uh, feedstock that are gonna come to play in the next few months. Uh, look forward to hearing more about uh, the developments going on, and hopefully you'll join us again for a future uh, Sierra Week Agora conversation. Thanks everyone. Mm -hmm.